Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. This morning we're going to be in Isaiah 14, and this is part two of a two-part series, and the title is The Root of the Problem. And what's really cool is every so often God kind of pushes the curtain back into the spiritual realm so we can kind of see what's going on in the world that's the real world. This world of atoms and molecules and compounds is a created thing. Um, Very strong nuclear force, weak nuclear force, electromagnetic force, everything including the cells in our body is really put together and is a very fragile creation. But what God shows us is one day this will all be gone, including the bodies that we live in, and there will be an eternity with new bodies that don't get sick, that don't break down, that last forever. However, in Isaiah 14, God shows us, again, the world of of God, of his throne, of the angelic world, the demonic world. Um, And really, I I believe, my opinion is, well, you, you saw some of the wicked leaders that we covered, and these were all historical characters, they were all, all actually lived, their kingdoms, their dynasties. And what God shows is the root of the problem, the force, the demonic force, the satanic force that took certain men and women who were lifted up with pride and did awful things. And you still see it today, how Satan controlled them, the person of the devil. And what I like about this is we get to know who our enemy is. You know, if you're fighting a war, a real war, um, you know, you have to know what the other side thinks. You have to gather intelligence. What's their MO? How do they do battle? What, what is their weaknesses? Well, it's the same thing. God gives us a picture of who Lucifer is, this fallen angel, so that we can understand he is our enemy. Why do we do the things that we do? Why do we could be kind of minding our own business and a thought comes into our head and it's not a good thought. Where did that come from? How do I deal with it? Do I react? Do I resist it? Is it good? Is it bad? So we're going to jump into this, the second part, and we're going to look at this really in five sections. Now, a little bit of context from last Sunday. I'll give you some context. But basically, is Isaiah 14 speaks about the king of Babylon and the satanic force that that was controlling him. Um, In Ezekiel 28, we see the king of Tyre, a completely different king, Tyre and Sidon, which is now actually modern-day Lebanon, but uh, the satanic force that was controlling him and how Satan manipulated these men in different, men in different ways to get them to do certain things. Um, and then God gives us a glimpse to Lucifer, this really archangel, this angel that was created actually very beautiful. It speaks about all the stones that were his covering, the sapphire, the sardius, the emerald, the topaz, beautiful diamond stones. And we can throw out all kinds of conjecture and Don't put too much stock in conjecture, but I wonder, he was so beautiful and these stones covered him, did he have skin that glistened when the light hit it? I don't know. But unfortunately, he got caught up in his own propaganda and became very prideful. So he was beautiful. He had privilege being at the throne room of God. Um, he, He had wisdom. Apparently, when he decided to challenge God, he didn't use his wisdom. And he had a lot of things that were really a blessing again, until it went to his head. 
And Satan today, well, he was cast out of God's throne room. And, and another thing that was interesting is these instruments in both scriptures that I mentioned uh, were created with him on the day he was created. Uh, and it does appear that he made music with them. Did he do worship for God and the other angels? You know, who knows? Again, more conjecture. But he had many talents. Um, unfortunately, it caused the pride caused his destruction. Now today, the people that he controls have these type of qualities. They have pride, as he has pride. They have narcissism, um, a great desire for attention, greed, avarice, selfishness. You might say, well, that sounds familiar. <laughs> you know, you turn on the TV and this is perpetuated in our culture. Uh, there are forces that control certain things that we watch and we listen to that try to influence, influence us in a negative way. A few other things that he does, if we want to know our enemy, for those that don't believe in God or the devil, Satan loves that because what he does is he keeps them not believing. You know what I'm saying? And it's great because he keeps them blinded to him. And they make a joke, oh, there's no such thing as a real devil. Well, he continues to blind them. Of course, he, he leaves them in a very vulnerable spiritual position. So the other group that are Christians... Sometimes Christians come forward to receive the Lord and they're all excited and uh, their excitement wanes over a year or a few years and Satan is behind that too. Um, and basically he makes a lot of Christians cultural Christians. He gives a lot of people in the church a mediocre faith. Again, we can resist any of his temptations. He always puts, puts it out there and he put it out to our first parents. Unfortunately, they succumbed to it, but they could have resisted it. And we could resist things as well. So again, uh, the shallowness in Christianity, the, the bad example of Christianity, the things that are in Christianity. Now, I don't say the church, because the true church, Jesus said, nothing could destroy. The gates of hell wouldn't prevail. But there's a larger Venn diagram type of circle of Christendom that's really not all Christian, if you, if you actually look at what the Bible says. Uh, the third one is, the third group of those that that uh, Satan can't get to disbelieve God. He can't get them to not serve God. So what he does is he throws, you know, he has a lot of tools in his tool belt. He throws discouragement out there at them. He uh, interjects thoughts of, well, you, you're really not making a difference. Why do you even bother? Um, so I'm going to do something that I don't normally do. And I've always been taught when you preach to not focus on yourself. But um, if you're going to focus on yourself, make yourself, I'm just letting you in on some secrets here, uh, make yourself genuine, tangible, um, transparent. Um, I'm just, for the sake of this message and the sake of what Satan tries to do to get into our heads, I'm going to tell you that I've struggled with discouragement. You know, I know I come up here, and this is what a leader does. It doesn't matter what's going on in my life. I come up to the pulpit, as do the other pastors and elders, and we preach the truth. We don't sit here and whine. That's not what leaders do. But we also have trials in our lives and in our families as well because Satan is trying to destroy any good thing that God is doing. So I'm going to raise my hand and tell you there's times that I suffer from discouragement. And I'm just being transparent. See, when I read the Bible and I look at the disciples and all their mess-ups, it encourages me because, well, I didn't have to be perfect to take this position. I like that. And then some of you may have a an unrealistic uh, picture of pastors because of what you see on a Sunday morning. But that's only a small part of our life. 
So I think that by being transparent, I can encourage you to say, well, listen, I, I struggle, I suffer, I get tempted, just like you do. Uh, there's times I resist and there's times I succumb, just like you do. So hopefully that gives you encouragement. I'm just going to do that for today because I think it's needed. So Satan, he was initially cast out of heaven for his wickedness. You know, uh, he took a third of the angels with him. He sold them, a, he must have been a good talker. <laughs> he sold them a good story. And um, Luke 10, 18, Jesus tells his disciples, basically when I was in heaven, you know, Christ came down to the earth, fully God and fully man. He says, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. What a powerful verse. Could you imagine what that must have looked like? God saw his heart. He saw the wickedness in his heart. Maybe with a word and in a split second, in a twinkling of an eye, he was sent down out of God's presence because sin and, and vile and vulgar can't coexist with God. And that's why Jesus died for our sins because we sin and we can't coexist in this state with God. That's why Christ died for our sins. So he, he fixed the legal problem that we were, we were facing, the spiritual problem as well. Now that we, when God sees us, we're clean when we trust in Christ as our Lord and Savior. It's an amazing switching of identity, so to speak. The second uh, further or further away from God is when, if you look at Job 1, 6 through 7, the angels were called to give an account. And Satan also had to come and give an account. And God asked them, so what you've been doing? And Satan responds to him. Very interesting dialogue. Um, now, in, in a future from now, uh, he will be cast into the bottomless pit for a thousand years. That's Revelation 20, 1 through 3. And that might be the part where the two scriptures I read to you about how the world will gaze at him and say, is this the one that I was afraid of? Is this the one that caused all this trouble? You know, Hollywood tries to make in these horror movies Satan equal with God. No. I mean, the exorcist, <laughs> when I was a kid, we were all scared of the exorcist. You know what I'm saying? I didn't know any better. I wasn't a Christian. But that movie probably could have taken 10 minutes if it was done biblically instead of two hours. You would think that Satan was at least as powerful as or greater than God. And that's just not true. Don't get your, your um, spiritual information from Hollywood or rock bands, and I covered that last Sunday. The last part of Satan's uh, existence is, the fourth part is the lake of fire in Revelation 20, where he's cast from hell, from Hades, or excuse me, from the bottomless pit to the lake burning with fire and sulfur. So, questions people ask is, why did Satan rebel? And it's all speculation. I'm going to tell you when the Bible says something that you can, that's dogmatic, that you can say, this definitely happened, and I'm going to kind of throw in some filler artistic liberty, but I'm going to let you know that that's my opinion or conjecture or what people debate. So that's important to know the difference, where the, the absolute truth is, and then where some people kind of try to fill in the blanks. So some have made the conjecture that Satan saw that God was making this race of human beings, right? A new race of humans. And that's, you know, it's amazing in this culture, we're starting to crumble based on race, because the Darwinists and most of the people that control the airwaves believe that we all came from different races, where God made one race, the human race. You see how Satan takes something that starts out as good and he twists it. It's a, he's a mind twister. So he makes this new race of human beings that God, you know, are in the image of God and maybe Satan got jealous. And maybe his desire is to make... And here's the amazing thing about people. Well, there's, just, there's a lot of information here. But 
human beings have great capacities, right? We've seen like a Mother Teresa, you know, who gave her whole life to serve the, the poor, and other people like that. And you say, wow, humanity is great. And then you look at the other end of the spectrum, and you look at terrorism or human trafficking or sex trafficking, and you say, oh, humanity is loathsome. And God gave us free will so that we have the capacity to choose one or the other. You see what I'm saying? So Satan's plan is to make humankind such a loathsome creature that God damns them because he was jealous of it. Interesting point. However, instead of damning us because we're sinners and we've offended God, God sent the remedy, which was Jesus Christ. See? God, you know, if, if, if there was furniture in heaven, God probably wouldn't throw anything out. He'd fix the leg. He'd fix the upholter. He's just the great fixer. And with us, the object of his love, he will do everything he can to fix us and make us right so that we can be in his presence for eternity. Fascinating debate. So we'll continue on. Uh, I'm going to just kind of, because we covered a lot, I don't want to read everything um, over again, but I, I will read a few scriptures. If you look at chapter 14, um, basically 4 through 8, you know, the golden city ceased. This was uh, old Babylon of the uh, 6th century BC. The golden city of Babylon ceased. Um, you know, Babylon was filled with all kinds of demonic, uh, weird worship and pagan practices. Uh, in verses 9 through 11, well, the, the king is killed. We know this historically when the Medo Persians came and attacked Babylon. But in verses 9 through 11, this, you have this big word, uh, metaphoric anthropomorphism. Hell is an inanimate place. It's a holding tank. Hell actually speaks to the king as he's thrown into it. It's kind of, kind of chilling, but actually very fascinating. So God, what he does is he puts human characteristics on this inanimate holding cell as if hell could speak. So hell welcomes the king, and hell conjures up all the other wicked rulers that were thrown into there. And they say to him, oh, you're as weak as we are now. All your pomp is gone. And it's really neat because it gets you to think about the afterlife. You know, what do we do today that's so important that we do it without God? Or that we flirt with the dark side just to get something of power or of, of tangibleness? I mean, our lifespans are really not that long. I mean, I'm 50 years old. I'm wondering where my 20s and 30s went. So, but here we are. I mean, life is it's but a vapor, the Bible tells us. It continues. This is where it gets interesting, and this is where I'm going to read it from. Verse 12. Because Satan, or Lucifer, was the power behind this evil king of Babylon, and he allowed it. By the way, the king of Babylon was given free will as you and I are. Okay, so he says, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning, how you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest side of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High, yet, now God says this, yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, or the realm of the dead, to the lower parts of the pit. Those who see you will gaze at you and consider you saying, is this the man or is this the one who made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms, who made the world as a witness, as a wilderness and destroyed its cities, who did not open the house of the prisoners. 
So one out of five is we see the state of humiliation after pride. Pride destroys. Proverbs 16, 18, right? Um, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. And as we read this, we know some people, now well definitely some leaders have acted like this, but some people that we know, they act and they say, well, I'm, I'm my own God, or I am, I am part of God, or all these crazy statements. Some, a lot of it's new agey, but that's the same mistake that Satan made. That's a crazy thing to do. And I don't mind somebody saying to me, well, I'm a new ager and you're wrong and you can believe what you believe. I'm doing this to help people. I'm doing this as a warning. I'm not doing this as, as an antagonistic, you know, your belief versus my belief because one day we're going to die and it's too late to go back and reason it. The reasoning has to be done today. It has to be done now. It has to be done this very moment as we're going through the scripture. So, Belshazzar, who was the king of Babylon, was, went to hell. But Satan was the driving force behind this. And one day, people will say, they'll look at him, the fallen angel, who's completely done. And we, I don't know, will there be a big hole and we all stand around the hole going, is that the one that made me do those things? You know? But let me just say this, because there was a, an old saying, the devil made me do it. We have to be careful of that. He puts out the bait but we don't have to bite on it, you know what I'm saying? And James 1 tells us that when does sin take place? When we marry the temptation from the outside with our heart that really wants that temptation, and we take the bait, and then boom, it's a snowball effect, and we're, we're caught. We're in sin. If we, if we say, oh, look, look at that temptation, and the times that we say, you know what, I have to resist that temptation, and we walk away, that's not sin. It's when the carnal desires of our heart marry with the bait. You see what I'm saying? So, I look at this and I say, I believe that we as people give Satan more power than he really has. All he can do is put out the bait. 1 John 4.4 4 says, the Bible tells us, He, Christian, He who is in you, the Holy Spirit, is greater than he who is in the world. 2 Corinthians 1, I believe 22, tells us that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit upon conversion so the holy spirit's a lot stronger than the devil because the holy spirit's god so if we are believers and we are sealed with the holy spirit then we can't be inhabited we can't be possessed like some of these movies we see and it's a legitimate question that i'm asked so the only thing satan can do is bother us from the outside because he can't get in on the inside okay first corinthians 10 13 tells us that with every sin which is not uncommon to man or woman that God always provides a way of escape. And again, here, full transparency from the pulpit. You know, it's on recording. Uh, and I'm not going to change my mind and ask Pastor Paul to erase it and do it over. But full, tra uh, full transparency is that there's times I've been tempted and there's times that I've resisted. Hey, bravo, Joe. Then there's times that uh, I've been tempted and I took the temptation. But I can tell you something. Every temptation that I've ever taken hold of where I've sinned, I can tell you that 1 Corinthians 10, 13 was always true. There was always a way of escape. God always provides a trap door. Get out. Get out now. You know what I'm saying? And if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes we like the temptation. We like flirting with, with sin, and we take the bite, so to speak. Okay. <laughs> a lot of stuff is covered here. Uh, let's see. God has given us the power, James 4, 7, to resist the devil. And the truth is, sometimes we don't resist the devil we fall for it. We like the bait. Now, I'm going to read 
There was a, I used a lot of scripture last Sunday. One I just want to read again because this, I believe, is very important. 2 Corinthians 11, started with verse 13. The Apostle Paul dealt with, you know, there wasn't the heavy Roman persecution yet at the time that the Apostle Paul wrote this, 2 Corinthians. So there was still a little freedom in Christianity before the Roman government really clamped down. So what Satan did was he said, well, let me try to infiltrate. Again, any war, physical war, you always have spies and infiltrators. They, they actually wear the other party's uh, uniforms to get in and find information out or deceive or twist. So he says, he speaks about these folks who pretend to be in ministry, pretend to be Christians, and they're not. He says, for such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. He's creepy. He's nasty. His desire is to destroy you and make you loathsome to God. So he's going to dress himself up as something really nice to, to get your attention and to bait you. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their work. So I, I kind of said something a little, I thought was humorous, I try, uh, last Sunday. So I'm going to show you a really scary picture of what I think Satan looks like. Hide the kids, hide their eyes. And so if we look at the first image from last Sunday, for those of you who are here, you know it's going to show up. Oh, he's pretty scary, isn't he? You know, but uh, I don't know. Did God change his appearance when he cast them down? I don't know, but he has the ability to make himself look beautiful. And this is a great picture because you can almost see, and I'm, I don't know the, the artist, but you can almost see him thinking, they're all going to worship God, the rest of the angels, and he's thinking, I, I could have something. I could be, I'm better than them. You know what I'm saying? So next image, if we can put that up. It says, Satan doesn't appear like this, but more like this. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers. We just read it. Satan doesn't come to people trying to frighten them. He comes to people trying to tempt them. And today, I believe we live in opposite world. I really believe the deception, even a lot of Christians who are watching too much TV, seeing too many movies, too many talk shows, and you talk to them, and what they're saying is not biblical. I'm not saying they're not saved, but I'm saying is that they're confused because the world is pumping out garbage, and they're taking in that garbage. And if we're not praying and we're not reading our word and we're not getting the sermons we missed online, even if we weren't there, um, we're going to get more of the garbage from the world and it's going to confuse us to say what's the truth. We live in opposite world. Isaiah 5.20, right? The, the good will be looked at as evil, evil will be looked at as good. And we see that today every single day. And it's not good. And it's very confusing. And it's very hypocritical. I mean, you know, you look at Hollywood and they can make you believe anything about that actor or actress. Cinematography, well-written lines, tears at the right time. Uh, and you look at a movie and you think, wow, oh, and I'm moved. You're moved. Your feelings are moved. But don't let the needle move on your spirituality because that's what they're trying to do to you. They're trying to deceive you. Right? And a lot of them, they put out these certain type of movies and their lifestyles are very different than what they're trying to portray. And I'm not, listen, there's a lot of Christians in Hollywood and they're really, they're kind of underground. You know, they're having Bible studies, they're praying. They don't want to be blacklisted but they are praying for their fellow actors and actresses. The media, academia, I mean, who knows what to believe anymore? This is why we have the Word of God. This is why we come together on Sunday morning.
continuing on, verse 18. It says, All the kings of the nations, all of them, sleep in glory, everyone in his own house. But you are cast out of your grave like an abominable branch, like the garment of those who were slain. Now we're going back to, we're going back to the, the actual king of Babylon. So we started with the king of Babylon. We went into the satanic force that controlled him. Now we're back to, um, and this is what prophecy does. And you, do, you have to follow it. You know, God's like, I, listen, God knows everything. I know it all. Future, past, present. And he goes back and forth. It's up to us to really decipher it. And we have to really read it and study it and compare it with other scripture. To, and the Bible says it's knowable. Pray about it. The Holy Spirit will give you that discernment. He says, thrust through with a sword, actual events that happen. Now, amazingly, he's telling Isaiah this actually about 100 or so years before it took place. He's telling Isaiah the future before the future happens. Who go down to the stones of the pit like a corpse trodden underfoot. You will not be joined with them in burial because you have destroyed your land and slain your people. The brood of evildoers shall never be named. Prepare slaughter for his children because of the iniquity of their fathers lest they rise up and possess the land and fill the face of the world with cities. So, the, so we're back to uh, two more verses here. For I will rise up against them, says the Lord of hosts, and cut off from Babylon the name and remnant, and offspring and posterity, says the Lord. I will also make it a possession for the porcupine and marshes of muddy water. I will spread. Sweep it with the broom of destruction, says the Lord of hosts. So two out of five is we're back to literal Babylon. Now, kings, even if a king was slain in battle, sometimes the other side would give them a proper burial or let their people bury them. That wasn't the case in the 6th century B.C. Um, You know, sometimes an invading army had such visceral hatred that they weren't kind when they conquered. And that's what happened to this king. So verse 20, it says, Belshazzar, you have destroyed your land and slain your people. Well, actually what happened was the Medo-Persians came in and they did a lot of that. He did a lot of that. The invading armies also did a lot of that. And you say, well, how do we figure this out? Well, we have to understand in all this, again, is pride, right? Satan, Lucifer, pride. Uh, The king of Babylon, those he possesses, pride. So he had so much pride, thought... Babylon was impenetrable, treated people awfully, his own people, and God chronicles this. And, you know, if we're honest with ourselves, and I'll be honest with myself too, sometimes we cause our own problems in life. If you really think about this, you know, when we look at our, I see a lot of head shaking. When we look back at life, I can look back at my life and say, what is the root of the problem? Like the sermon is titled, and a lot of it is stupid pride. Like we, you know, we, and then we get a, like a humble pill or a humble pie slice of that and we realize, boy, I was really a jerk. And sometimes it's not until we're taken down a peg or two do we realize because we're so caught up in ourselves. We just keep, you know, making money. We just keep, you know, getting these contacts. And so personal responsibility is very important. There's times that I, I feel like I can't offer my counsel, my teaching, to some because there's a very strong word that I know and it's called unteachable. I can't help a person who's unteachable, but if I'm honest with myself, there were times that I was unteachable. Again, what is the root of that? It's pride. It's pride. You know, um, 
Proverbs 9, basically, and I'm paraphrasing, is if you rebuke a wise man, he'll think about it, he'll ponder it, and he'll change. If you re rebuke a fool, you're only going to get problems. If you try to rebuke somebody who's foolish and unteachable, they'll, they'll gossip about you, they'll go on social media and talk about you. It's like you took your treasured counsel and, like Jesus said in Matthew 7, 6, casting pearls before swine, right? And Jesus speaks about spiritual things. Now, you know what's amazing? The metaphor is that people act like pigs, swine. And people say, well, I've never heard that type of Jesus. Let me tell you something. Jesus warned and he did things to, to shock our consciousness because he loves us. He tried to get our attention. And what did he say about the pearls before swine? Not only would they trample the, the pearls given, but the swine would turn and tear you apart. So not only do they not want what you have to say, but then it'll be an ad hominem attack. They will attack you personally because you carry God's message. So it's very interesting. The Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, 15, he spoke about those that he did so much for, and he said, sometimes I feel the more I love, the less I am loved. And in some cases, all we can offer somebody is silence. That's a sad place to be. And I've been there. Verse 24, we continue. It says, The Lord of hosts has sworn, saying, Surely, as I have thought, so it shall come to pass. And as I have purposed, so it shall stand, that I will break the Assyrian in my land, and on my mountains tread him underfoot. Then his yoke shall be removed from them, and his burden removed from their shoulders. This is the purpose that is purposed against the whole earth. And this is the hand that is stretched out over all the nations. For the Lord of hosts has purposed, and who will annul it? His hand is stretched out, and who will turn it back? These were like rhetorical questions that the Lord used in this poetic type of language of the prophets. So three out of five is the prophecy against Assyria. Now, this is amazing because could you imagine, and I don't know what it was like, I would imagine that the prophet, God gave him an inkling that he was going to speak to him. So the prophet would probably leave society and go out into the wilderness and, and just find a quiet place and, and the Lord would speak. Sometimes it was through a vision, sometimes it was through a dream, sometimes it was through an angel, and the prophets would feverishly write this stuff down. But, you know, the Bible's very clear that there were times that even the prophets got the information and they had no idea what God was talking about, but they were just being faithful. Do you ever have situations where God wants you to do something and you know it's right, but you don't know why it's right? God wants you to make a certain decision, God wants you to go in a, a certain direction, you know it's right, but you can't figure it all out yet. And he just says, just go, right? And that happens. You know, God is not going to give us all the answers all the time right away. Me personally, I'm a very organized person. I would love it if God sent an angel down and said, Joe, this is the 10-year plan. This is what you're going to do each year. This is how things are going to... It never happens. It never happened to me like that. He's sent me in certain directions, and I found out afterwards, oh, that was right. Or he, he stopped me from certain things, and I'm like... Oh, okay, I can understand why that happened. So the prophets would receive this information. Here Isaiah is receiving the information, and he's being told about Babylon, which at the time, they were being harassed by the Assyrians. Babylon was a nothing power, especially he was told about the Medes. The Medes, they were a little tribal band in, in uh, west, modern-day Iran. So he brings Isaiah back to the present, right? Which he could understand a little bit better, 
because the Assyrians were making everybody's lives miserable. So he speaks about the Assyrians. Listen, it's for a season, Isaiah. So four, or excuse me, three, the prophecies against Assyria. What Isaiah didn't know was in 701 BC, Sennacherib of Assyria was going to come and invade uh, Judah and Jerusalem, but he was going to be unsuccessful. That's where God wiped out much of the army, of the Assyrian army. And if you look at your history books, from that point, Assyria wasn't really in the west anymore. They focused their efforts on the east because they lost a good part of their army. So even secular history backs up what the Bible says. And remember, this was written, all these things were written before it actually took place. Fascinating. Verse 24, I love this. The Lord of hosts has sworn it, saying it will come to pass, it will stand. Verse 27, who can annul it? You know, so when, when God says something is going to happen, we have to trust and believe that it's actually going to take place. And there's been many believers over the millennia that have disbelieved God and it will only to their peril. Because later on, it came to pass, as God said it would, in incredible detail. Good stuff. So verse 28, we continue. This is the burden which came in the year that King Ahaz died, which he was one of the kings of Jerusalem. Do not rejoice, all of you Philistia, or the Philistines, because the rod that struck you is broken. For out of the serpent's roots will come forth a viper, and its offspring will be a fiery flying serpent. The firstborn of the poor will feed, and the needy will lie down in safety. I will kill your roots with famine, and it will slay your remnant. Wail, O gates, cry, O city, all you of Philistia are dissolved. For smoke will come from the north, and no one will be alone in his appointed times. So four out of five is the prophecy of Philistia, or the land of the Philistines. This is interesting because we're still having this discussion today in the 21st century. I'm going to take you through a little bit of um, migration patterns and anthropology and a little bit of sociology as it respects to anthropology. But basically what happens is that King Ahaz of Judah, which was an actual king, he dies... And it's interesting because Shalmaneser of Assyria dies as well um, in short order in a very close proximity of time. And what do the Philistines do? They rejoice. They were never big enough to be a, a world-dominant power. The Egyptians were at certain times, the Assyrians, the Babylonians. The Philistines really weren't. So what they did was they, instead of turning to God, they would rejoice when other people fell. So when another nation fell, a king died, or they were invaded, they, could, they were sitting there kind of laughing about the whole thing. Have you ever seen people like that? You know, I mean, they, they, just, they just rejoice in somebody else's demise. And it's really sad. But the Philistines were warlike people that were seafaring people. One of their gods was a fish god. You know, wherever you were, you would make up some god that was, you know, what you were into, your commerce or whatever, and you'd worship that god Hopefully that you're, you get more fish or you get more crops or things to that nature. But God said that the Philistines would cease to exist, but that he would take care of the poor and needy regardless of where they were. Now, today we hear discussions, don't we? So we look at Israel as a nation, and on the west coast of that land, which is on the coast of the Mediterranean, there's a big discussion about the Palestinians. Understand that in 2,600 years since this was written, the Philistines disappeared. They integrated into other societies. 
they left where they were. They found artifacts. Nobody can really. Tr- nobody is saying, "Well, we come from the Philistines." Um, there was a lot of uh, when Islam took root in roughly seven eighth century. There were a lot of Islamic conquests. There was the Umayyads and the and the Ottomans. Look this up. They would come heavily into that area and you know forcibly convert. If not, people would be driven out. So the Philistines over 2,600 years were really driven out of that area. The people today that are called the Palestinians, again, look this up. I think the sad thing is a lot of people don't look things up and they just go with what they hear somebody, some talking head on the news say. The people today in the Palestinian area are a few things. They're a small percentage of Bedouins. They're a small percentage of Egyptians. And if you look at the area... Uh, Egypt is southwest. You could actually take a land route to get there. The majority of the people today in that area are actually Jordanians. It's fascinating. They, w- they emigrated from Jordan. So they're not Philistines. Just because people inhabit that geographical area doesn't mean that they're descendants. And this happens all the time with migration patterns. So just a little interesting thing, a little side note there. Last verse. What will one of the answers... What will one then answer the messengers of the nation? So at the end of the chapter, basically, so, so what do we tell everybody? Based, we're looking at this prophecy. What do we tell everybody? How do we boil this down? That the Lord has founded Zion, or the area around Jerusalem, the, the mount, that area, and the poor of his people shall take refuge in it. Five out of five is... From humanity's perspective, put yourself in their shoes. Every, there's just war all the time. You know, the Egyptians were fighting, the Israelites were fighting, the Philistines were fighting, the Syrians were fighting, the Assyrians then took over, then the Babylonians. It just was constant warfare. You know, it was this one nation rises up and thinks, again, pride. Well, I can take over the whole world and I could maintain it this time. The Romans thought that, the Greeks thought that. I mean, we're a, a pretty young nation. People here think that. If God was to wait another thousand years to come back, what would our country look like? I don't know. What would other countries look like? Would some other dominant power rise to power? I mean, everybody's so focused on this stuff. But from God's perspective, there was evil. There was pride. And it was in everyone's best interest to repent and turn to God. Now, we see it today. You look on the news, you know, people are nervous. There was actually a, I don't know, somebody hacked into Hawaii's uh, defense system. There was an alert that went out to the Hawaiian people who were tied into, I don't know if it was the State Department, I should have done a little bit more research, but it said there's an incoming missile, you know, like take shelter. Did anybody read that recently? So people in the United States, part of our country, they were terrified. They probably thought it was North Korea. It turned out to be a hoax. But you know what's really sad? When, when 9-11 happened, actually I was at Ground Zero. I was still on patrol when 9-11, when the towers fell. But when 9-11 happened after that, the church that I was going to filled up. They, they didn't have enough seats. There were seats in the hallway. People were sitting everywhere because they were scared. What were the people thinking when they got the alert that a missile was coming in, you know, nuke or whatever? They probably were, oh, God, God. Isn't that sad? God is always like last place. But even then, he still doesn't get offended. He loves us so much. It could be on our deathbed. It could be the day that we're passing away and we're 99 years old and we turn to God. He's so merciful, he'll receive us. But we're such stubborn creatures. Listen, I'm, I'm still stubborn. I'm saved. 
I love the Lord. I'm still stubborn. Ask my wife. You know what I'm saying? She's smiling back there. But it's true. We're stubborn and we're foolish sometimes. And we're prideful. And God was saying to everybody, can you all just repent and turn to me? But remember, he gave us free will. Remember the, the analogy. We, we can do very much good and we could do very much evil. It's in all of us. It's, the choice is yours. Some want to save the world. The other side wants to see the world burn. And this is what fills our planet. But God wants us to turn to him. And sometimes he would just go like this. Look, everything's burning. Arrows slinging. Horses, you know, war. And he'd just be like, nobody's seeking me. If you guys want to solve your own problems, knock yourself out. And we're doing that today in the world. And now we have the United Nations. And before that, it was the League of Nations. All these, these, these strategic, all the nations are going to come together. We're going to bring in world peace. I think it's gotten worse since those uh, organizations have come together. Where's the world peace? Where's the you know, saving of poverty? It's really sad. It's because a world that has... Listen, we're post-Christianity. You know, we're post-modern. We're so smart, Lord. Just go away. We can do it ourselves. It was no different 2,600 years ago. And God said, listen, there's going to be ups and downs. I'm going to take care of my people. I'm going to take care of the poor of my people. And um, even his people, when they were really, really, really wicked, check this out. And, and please, you can't interject the conversations in the news today into the Scripture. It never works. God did not... Being rich is not a crime. It's not a sin. However, with the Israelites, God's people, there was a tendency when they started gaining wealth and real estate and they started growing and you know, inflating their egos... It was a direct relationship with them turning their back on God. And it was horrific. Among God's own people, they were hurting their own. You know, it's funny, people say this too, in the church today. Ah, I, I went into this church and I've been there for a while and they're, they're all fighting and there's factions. And you hear stuff like that and you're like, that's not normal. That's actually not according to the scripture. And God has a way of humbling his people. But bottom, that being said, so what would happen was the, the wealthy nobility would, would eat their own, so to speak, so when an invading army came to Israel, um, who would they cart off? The wealthy, well-fed, strong nobility. And they would take them away. You know who was left? The poor people. And they got the land and the vineyards. It was like poetic justice. So God had a way of, he has a way of fixing things. And I love that about him. And everything he does is right and good. And we might not see it right away, but if we really pray about it and, and, and check it out and analyze it, that's him. He, he knows what he's doing. So the conclusion to all this is best summed up as that no matter what chaos is going on in the world, and we have chaos in our world, what's the answer? Where's the stability? The stability is in the Lord and His Word and His will, which will eventually be established forever. Somebody uh, gave me a, sent me a meme, <laughs> memes, what, 20 years ago? It was a meme. Anyway, so let's put up the third image. There you go. And it's kind of funny, hypothetical. It's on a park bench, and here's Jesus on the right, and some guy sitting with him, and he says to Jesus, so why do you allow things like famine, war, suffering, disease, crime, homelessness, despair, etc., to exist in our world? And Jesus says, interesting that you should bring that up. I was about to ask you the same question. You know? God gave us great brains. He gave us breakthroughs. He gave us 
in the beginning, a perfect world. He gave us natural resources. Because of sin, what's the root of the problem? Evil, sin. You know, you, you look at some of these countries. When I was young, remember uh, Feed the World? Uh, they had all these rock... I'm probably dating myself. I was young. <laughs> I can't even remember. Bob Geldorf or something. He, got all, you know, he had Sting and, and U2 and all these people came together. And they had this concert and they were going to feed the world. And they were going to feed these countries. And they found out later that all the money and all the rice and all the stuff that was sent there, well, who took it? The leaders. It didn't solve anything. It actually was a flop by the world standards. And I'm not saying we shouldn't try because we do a lot in our church and we just give it to God. But God gave us so much in humanity to do good. Unfortunately, there's so much evil that twists and turns, you know, the energy independence. um, Listen, when I was a kid, I learned about hydrolysis where with electricity you could separate water into hydrogen and oxygen. You could burn the hydrogen and oxygen will go into the air. No problems, right? No pollution. Use water to put in your cars. Well, a a few people have actually, again, as a a little kid, I saw that and I thought to myself, hmm, I wonder if we can make a car that runs on hydrogen. Well, you can, but they've sat on the patents, you know. The other energy, you know, so we could have energy independence. We could have cures for all types of disease. I really believe it's because of sin. I believe because as a group, as a race, mankind doesn't want to do these things because there's an opportunity for certain people to, to rise in power and wealth and to, to be prideful, you know? I mean, this is, this is the world we live in. So the root of the problem is, is not Jesus' fault. It's not the Lord's fault. Even before the sin curse, the, the creation was perfect. There was, we would live forever. The problem is, is evil. And the problem is our choice of evil. And our problem is sin. But here's the beautiful thing. The first stage in mankind's redemption. And people ask me this question. You know, they come to me and, like, and I, I meet people who are young and they're like, they don't understand Christianity. What? So your guy was a, was a God and he died on a cross and, and I don't get it. I understand why they don't get it. So I spend a lot of time in the Old Testament and, and, the, and the typology and, and how God's justice needs to be satisfied. So by by God coming and taking the form of a man, mankind, the actual race who, who brought all this garbage into the world. So he comes in that form to undo what mankind did. And by dying on the cross, he dies for our sins. So the first stage of mankind's redemption is something you can't see. And that's why a lot of people don't want to believe. Because Jesus came not to be the, the messianic military leader, but he came to be the one that changed us from the inside to redeem our soul. So skin, it, it, we, you know, we die. But inside, who we are, our personality, our uniqueness, Jesus came to redeem that, our spirit. There's another stage that's coming, and that's in our future, and that's when he's going to remake creation, the heavens and the earth. Our bodies will be eternal once again. And everything will be remade into beauty. And you've seen some of the pictures and the scriptures, and we've covered this. That's the second stage, the total physical redemption, the destruction of evil, the tempter, and gets, gets us to a place where we don't have these struggles in our minds. We, we have trusted the Lord. We have fellowship with Him. And all that stuff is just a bad memory. So, folks, this is what I'm looking forward to. And I hope this morning that I've made that case for you, and I hope that if anybody here who doesn't know Jesus, I really hope 
You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a sinner. I'm, I'm frail. I'm not perfect. I really hope that from reading the Scripture and what we talked about this morning, if you've been on the fence, that you choose Christ today before you leave this place. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.